gift of love could I offer to a king? What weight or worth could be held within my offering? When he alone is worthy, a glorious song is inscribed upon my heart this treasure held in an alabaster jar i break to bring him all the glory praise god from whom all Sacrifice could be equal to his own. The cross of Christ has declared that there is not I owe. Yet I know I owe him more. Welcome to Genesis Gathering. Uh, I want to make sure my sound is on. Am I good? Okay. Uh, we're glad you've joined us this morning. I'm filling in this week, and um, we're just really happy that you're here with us. We want to remind you that this is available on Facebook, so uh, whether you're joining us through the um, genesiscc.net or Facebook, uh, we invite you to um, invite your friends. Uh, send this link out to whoever else you think might want to hear this this morning. Um, we've got a really special message for you. And uh, we're happy that you're here. Right now we're going to do a little bit more worship. Um, so just enjoy this. Uh, get yourself in a place of worship. And uh, we'll be right back with you.
good thing, and God is always faithful. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, where we want to start with our announcements is uh, if you have a prayer request, we'd love to get that from you um, right now, and you can call me. No, don't call me. Text me at 720-878-3323. If you're on Facebook, you're welcome to leave a prayer request there. However, there's a delay from the time that you post it and the time that I receive it, so I may not get it in time, but we'll be happy to pray for any prayer requests you leave on Facebook, even if it's later. Okay, so we're going to pray in a little bit, a couple of announcements first. Go ahead and send those prayer requests if you have some. All right, some uh, announcements. Bingo is starting this Tuesday, the 26th. The first session is at 7.30 p.m. and um, doors open at 5.30. We'd love for you to come. It's over at Bingo Oasis on Melody and 106th and Genesis sponsors Tuesday Night Bingo. It's a lot of fun. It's cash only. It is a $21 minimum buy-in for now during COVID and the restrictions that we have. There's a, a maximum of 50 people. Uh, wear your masks and uh, we hope to see you there. Also then, um, this Thursday night, we're continuing our study of the book, Love Wins. It's a book by Rob Bell. His, uh, the, the byline on it is a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived. Wow, kind of a big deal. I'm very excited about this book. I've either listened to it on Audible or read it about four or five times. I'm very excited about it. You are welcome to join us even if you weren't in on the first session. It's every other Thursday at seven o'clock and for one hour and the next Next one is this coming Thursday. Um, we want to thank you for your donations and your continued giving to God through Genesis Church. And uh, if you have not yet, but you would like to, that there's things here that have ministered to you and blessed you, and you would like to support what we're doing and what God's doing through Genesis Gathering, you can go out to our webpage and donate there. There's a donate and giving button there, or you can text to give to 720-730-8510. Very simple, 720-730-8510. I'm going to check to see if I have any prayer requests that have come through. I see one text here, but not a prayer request. And by the way, Jean, good to have you here from Escondido, California. Thanks for letting us know you're here. Uh, I was just praying for you and your cousin this week. I, I trust everything's going really well, and you guys are staying safe. Okay, well, um, I have a few prayer requests then. Uh, not uh, any fresh ones, but I'll give you the ones that I've been getting through the week, things that are also on my heart. From the pageants, we're going to pray for Danielle, who is fighting cancer, and she had surgery this week. Grace, who is in her 30s, and one of her children have COVID, and uh, we want to pray for her and then for the rest of the family to stay well. We have a pastor friend and his wife who are dealing with COVID. We're going to pray for them. Uh, we're going to pray for our vets today. Uh, the su suicide has increased quite a bit during the COVID trauma and all the trauma of this year, and we, we just want to pray for their peace. And we're going to pray for our government. Uh, the scripture tells us to pray for our leaders that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. So um, one more time, let me check. I don't see any prayer requests. And uh, let's, uh, would you join me in prayer? Let's, let's just take a deep breath. I, I especially have to take a deep breath after the uh, excitement about the <laughs> sound and the microphone and let's just turn our hearts to God. Amen. Heavenly Father, uh, we bring Danielle to you. We bring Grace and her children and her family to you. We bring our pastor friend and his wife who does not want to necessarily be named, but you know who they are and we pray for your healing power for them, Father. I pray for resurrection life for each one of them, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead resurrects their mortal bodies. Thank you for your healing power for them, Heavenly Father. Lord, for our veterans, we pray that 
a spirit of peace would come to them. You, you've said you've given us peace, Lord. I pray that they'd have a sense of peace and a sense of safety and that wherever they need healing, Lord, that you would, your healing power would help them, Holy Spirit, you would bring comfort to them and life and hope in this hour. Father, for our government leaders, for our president, vice president, our ca his cabinet, the Congress, the Senate, the Supreme Court, and our state and our county leaders, Lord God, we pray for your wisdom to be imparted to them, that they would live godly lives, that, Father, that they would have a heart of peace. And I pray for safety for them and for their families, Lord, as they take on these enormous tasks of leading our country and making decisions for our country, for our nation, Lord God. We pray that each of them would know you and the power of your resurrection. We pray, Father, for peace in our nation. I pray that the reconciliation of Jesus Christ would reign in our nation, Lord, and through the body of Christ as we walk day by day, as we meet people, as we go to work, that with us in the body of Christ, we would bring peace. We would bring the reconciliation of Jesus Christ into our world and our nation. And I pray all of these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we have a special treat with Matt coming to bring us the message. And I can't wait to hear what the Lord's laid on his heart. Amen. Matt. Um, so this morning I want to talk to you about, um, are you sure? Certainty. And um, this is something that has been kind of weighing on my heart um, over the past few weeks about just being sure uh, of what you think and what does it actually mean to have certainty and um, is certainty always good? And um, I'm a person who uh, really, really likes to know things. I like information. I, I gobble up facts and um, it might be a, a, a sign that um, when I chose a major in college, um, I chose mathematics. And so there's something about that. It tells something about me that at the core of me in my DNA, my DNA, um, I want to know things for sure. And when I studied math in college, it was, uh, at first it was a lot of things like algebra, and then it went all the way into something more like um, proofwriting. Most of the classes that I took after my sophomore year of college were uh, in proofwriting, and proofwriting is, is all about being certain and making sure that everything that you lay on top of uh, something else is... Um, built on something else. And so it creates this um, certainty that you know your, whatever that you're, you're, you're claiming is true is true because you built it on top of other things. Now, um, as I went through life, um, certainty has always been part of, of that. And when you if you know some, if you know me, um, if you're someone who does know me, then you know that I am certain about things, and um, to a fault, I believe, at points. And so I go through my life, and sometimes I have very strong opinions, and sometimes I spew them on people. Um, and when I when I talk to my friends, I, I often am very uh, self-assured. I think is what is what some people might characterize me as. And today I want to talk a little bit about what's behind the desire for certainty and what is it that drives us um, to want certainty. So I want to give a quote here. This is from um, a man named David Rock, and he writes a, a blog on psychology today. And the, this, this uh, series um, in his blog was called Your Brain at Work. And this is the quote. A sense of uncertainty about the future generates a strong threat or alert response in the limbic system. Now, I had to go and look up the limbic system because I wanted to know. Um, and the limbic system is, is this part of your brain that processes things that pose uh, a threat. Um, so this is, if you've heard of your hippocampus, that's part of your um, limbic system. Um, and that's 
basically when your eyes see something that looks dangerous or your ears hear a loud noise, uh, it, it activates that part of your brain and it's a self-preservation part of your brain. Um, and so when you, um, uncertainty generates a strong alert in that part of your brain. Now I'm going to read on. Your brain detects something is wrong and your ability to focus on, on, uh, on other issues diminishes. So when you, when you start to feel uncertain, um, you lose the ability to focus on other things because your, your mind is telling you something is wrong. Um, your brain does not like uncertainty. It is like a type of pain to your brain. So similar to like if you put your hand on something hot and your brain says, stop doing that, um, uncertainty generates a similar response. Certainty, on the other hand, feels rewarding. And we tend to steer toward it, even when it might be better for us to remain uncertain. And so this kind of is a, is a very telling thing, especially for myself, uh, when, I, when I feel threatened by um, the lack of knowledge or the lack of certainty, what I do is I start to study or I start to um, find ways to validate what I believe. And I think that's a very common thing. I think most of us uh, have a very similar response. I don't think that I'm alone. This response, I believe, is, is quite normal, in fact. Now, I want to talk about some places that this comes up, and I don't know if all of them are coming up at once, but the first thing I want to talk about is uh, one place that this came up really, really intensely in my life, uh, and it's in the area of parenting. When I was young, I, I had children young. I had children, I think I was 22, and uh, maybe three months away from turning 23 when I had my first son. And um, so, now I will say also um, that... As a, the younger I was, the more I depended on certainty, the more I believed with certainty that everything that I thought was true was universally true. And in parenting, this is something, um, when you find out that you're going to have a child at age 22, uh, that, that response that happens in your limbic system, that uncertainty, man, did that ever get triggered. And so... For me, it was about research. Find out what the right way to parent is. And obviously, as a young person, I had very strong opinions about what I thought was good parenting anyway. Um, having never experienced it, I was sure that I knew how to be a great parent. And so you dive into this thing called parenting and um, you research uh, what's the best way to have a child, uh, what's the best way to raise a child. A lot of this came from my upbringing um, and what I learned in the church about um, how to discipline your children, how to love your children, how to feed your children, all of these things. And you believe that if you do all of these things right, you have this certainty that your child is going to turn out great and your child is going to be a world beater. Um, and so that's one example of where um, the, the need for certainty, not necessarily a bad thing, um, but I dug into being a good parent and I, I got to this place of certainty that I was sure I was a really good parent. Now, as, uh, as the years have gone on, I, I, I have a different opinion of my parenting abilities. Um, and just because, you know, things don't turn out the way that you expect them to, you have all this certainty. And then as you go on, the more you learn and the more you experience as a parent, the more you realize you don't know what you're doing. And uh, I was on the phone with my sister uh, about a week ago, maybe a little over a week ago, and just talking about parenting teenagers and the difficulties that exist when you're parenting teenagers. Um, it's been hard. It's been really hard. And at every turn, there's something that you have to make a decision on. You don't necessarily know what's right. And it feels like the more certainty I try and find, the less certain that I am. Uh, so that's one place for me in my life that I've experienced a need for certainty and uh, really digging in and trying to make sure that I knew what I was doing because I felt like if I didn't, I'm going to ruin my children and my children are going to grow up and, and not live up to their full potential. Now the next area... Um, is 
the area of work. Now, this is one that I think it's really important to have certainty. Um, the job that I work in, I uh, uh, hopefully I think at least one or two of my colleagues are on this and, and listening to this, but um, in our job, we have to have certainty. We have to know that what we're telling um, people in our field of expertise is correct, because if we don't, we might be giving them bad information. And they may use that bad information to plan their future, their retirement, and, and that could have serious consequences if we're not certain about what we're saying. And so, in fact, even in, our, in, in my field, um, when I'm teaching people about retirement, I had to go through this very difficult process in training where I had to become uncertain. Um, and, any, and I had to have this um, kind of a, a little catch where... If my brain was telling me, I'm not sure about the answer to that, I had to learn to say, I don't know. And that was really hard for me because I want to know everything. And I don't want to admit that I don't know something. Um, and certainty in that area is actually a very good thing. Um, but there are other things in my area of work where I'm certain and I probably don't need to be. Uh, for example decisions that are made for my company um, by other people and I'm certain that if I were to make a decision it might be a better decision or uh, if I were um, choosing this thing or that thing or if I were making the plan for the future um, that I, I would make a different plan because I'm certain about what I believe. When really probably more humility would serve me better uh, in that circumstance. The next one is politics, and politics is a touchy, touchy, touchy subject right now. And this past um, political season, I've had the opportunity to kind of sit in the middle and watch things on both sides. Um, I do consider myself an independent, um, and I kind of arrived at that place uh, after a lifetime of being very certain about what I believed politically. And... Uh, I have a, a very large group of friends who are on one side of this, and I have a very large group of friends and family who are on the other side uh, politically. And it feels more so now than it ever has in my entire life that people believe what they believe with such intense certainty that there is no other option, there is no other opinion. And this is something that I think has is, is been very difficult uh, for our country to go through, the, the amount of certainty that people have uh, in what they believe politically. Um, when I have conversations with people, I, <laughs> I don't have strong, or sorry, I don't have strong political beliefs uh, of my own because I, I've, I've learned that if I take a step back and I look at each side, and, and like I said, I do have very pe people that are very close to me that believe e uh, strongly on each side. So I have to take a, a step back and look at each side and say, what are the merits here? What, what is it that I truly believe? Um, and, and for me, is it worth alienating my family and my friends uh, to, to say one thing or the other or to take a strong position here? And, and I don't know if, if where I sit is correct. Um, but I think when I, when I think about politics in our country, and if you were to go and ask somebody, uh, actually, you could probably ask every single person, and you could say, um, do you think what you believe is wrong? I think 100% of the time, the person would say no. And if every person believes they are right, and very many people disagree, then there's a disconnect. Um, and our certainty can't be true. One more place that I think certainty um, finds itself in our life um, is the area of religion. Now, I grew up in the church, and I can remember being four years old and saying the sinner's prayer. And um, literally from that day forward, I was certain that I was going to heaven, or at least kind of certain, until the next uh, preacher came along and said, have you... Uh, been living in sin, and then I would go, oh no, uh, maybe I'm not going to heaven. 
Um, but what I constructed from the age of four up through my teenage years, uh, going through private schools, homeschool, more private schools, always in a youth group, always at church, um, I constructed my belief system, and my belief system was ironclad. I knew that what I believed was right. And not only that, but I knew that anyone who disagreed with me was not only wrong, but they were probably going to hell. Um, I was certain of it, and so certain of it that I spent a lot of my time and money doing missions trips, outreach, trying to find people who didn't believe what I believed and tell them because what I believed with all certainty was that there were people that had never heard about Jesus. And if they never heard about Jesus, then Jesus couldn't come back. And if Jesus couldn't come back, then we couldn't all go to heaven and be raptured away. I believe that with certainty. And I was talking to a really, really close friend this week, um, uh, this is a person who is kind of like a sister to me. And we were having a conversation just kind of loosely about what we believed uh, religiously. And this person um, is an atheist and outspoken atheist, does not have strong religious beliefs in any way. Um, and when we were talking about this, uh, they were talking about their experience in church as a young child and how they were always skeptical um, and they went to church as a child, and their family is uh, what they would consider a Christian family. They claim to be a Christian family. And this person was talking about going to church and always skeptical. And I believe that when I was young, I saw someone who was skeptical as someone who was rebellious, someone who didn't want to follow the rules. And I think what I've come to understand is that someone who is skeptical is someone who has questions. Someone who doesn't just want to take what everyone else is saying and believe it with all their heart, like I did. And um, I think throughout my life, I've done a lot of damage to people. I, what I believed with certainty has caused damage to my relationships. I would say that probably if I were in my 20s, I would, I would not be friends with this person who is a very close friend of mine. Because back then I had a lot of certainty that I was to associate with people who believed what I believed. And if people didn't want to acknowledge what I believed, that I was supposed to separate myself from them. So is, is certainty wrong? No. And I want to I talk about a quote here that I found. And by the way, there, I, I was looking and doing research on certainty this week. And it's interesting because whenever you do certain, uh, research on certainty, when it comes to biblical things and Christianity, um, almost all of the, the quotes and all of the articles and all of the blogs and documents that you can find point in the direction of more certainty. But when you find people in the secular world, um, people that are not necessarily Christian authors or uh, philosophers, it almost always points in the direction of uncertainty. And here's a really great quote um, this one, sorry, I think I, okay, yeah. This is from Oliver Wendell Holmes, and you probably know that name. The longing for certainty is in every human mind, but certainty is generally illusion. What does that mean? Um, does it mean that if you are certain about something, you're delusional? I don't necessarily think that's true, but when we have certainty, what is it based on? I was a math teacher for 14 years, uh, and one of my favorite things that I did with my geometry classes is right before we would start our section, which was probably three chapters long, and usually it would start at the end of September on proof writing. And if you remember geometry class and you did proof writing, you remember it was probably pretty hard for you. And one of the things that I would do to start off that part of the school year, um, when we were going into proof writing and geometry, is I would talk about what it really means to prove something. 
And I would do that with a quote from someone named Rene Descartes. Rene Descartes quoted this, and this is in, uh, this is in Latin. Um, so it says, cogito ergo sum. And I say that with no accent. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but cogito ergo sum. And what that means is, I think, therefore I am. Now, Rene Descartes was um, a philosopher in the 1600s, early 1600s. And philosophers at that time were constantly trying to prove uh, things were true, or they were trying to um, find out what they could prove without making any assumptions. So Rene Descartes was, was similar, and he was on this path, and he believed in God. And he wanted to prove that God existed without using anything that could be called an assumption, anything that could be um, uh, pointed out as unstable, as an unstable argument. And as he was going through this process of trying to prove that God existed, he eliminated things like, I've seen this, or I've heard this, or I've touched this. Anything that was related to senses, because even at that time, they knew that your senses could deceive you. Um, you, you could see visions. You could, um, uh, scientifically, what is it when you see something? You're looking, and light is bouncing off something, and that's coming into your eye. Your eye is interpreting that information and sending an electronic signal to your brain, and your brain interprets that electronic signal and tells you what you're seeing. That's a lot of things that have to happen correctly for you to know that you are seeing what you're seeing. And then what is light, and what is electricity, and are those things that we know we can count on at all times? And so Rene Descartes started eliminating things like our senses. We can't use our senses to prove that God exists because our senses can deceive us. Now, I would do this exercise with my students and I would say something like, okay, think of one thing that you know for sure that you can prove. And so they would throw out things like, okay, the sky is blue. And I would say, are you sure the sky is blue? And I would say, of course, I can look out the window and I can see that the sky is blue. And I would say, okay, so are you sure that what you see as blue is the same as what everybody else sees as blue? And they would say, well, yeah, because we all agree it's blue. And I said, well, okay, how do you know you're not seeing green and that person's seeing blue, but you called it blue, so you all think you're seeing the same color? Well, because my eyes are the same as your eyes. Are you sure? And so it would go through this whole thing. Uh, and for me, it was fun, and I think it was probably miserable for them. Uh, but basically what I was doing is I was deconstructing what people assume are facts, things that we know for certain, right? Because if you're going to prove something is true, it's always going to be based on assumptions, the assumption that the sky is blue is based on a lot of assumptions, right? Because we see it. And we have to assume a lot of things happen uh, universally in order to be able to say we know for sure that that is true. So anyway, this, this uh, usually I would follow this up by, by a clip from a movie. And this movie is probably one that all of you know, uh, The Matrix. And so I'm not sure what order these slides are going to come in. Hopefully, hopefully you're going to see... Okay, great. So the first thing that happens in this movie is there, you're introduced to this, um, this guy named Mr. Anderson. And Mr. An uh, no, sorry, yeah, Mr. Anderson. And he's, he's a, a computer programmer, and he works in this office, and he, his life is so boring, and he goes uh, to clubs at night because he knows there's something missing. And he's then introduced to someone uh, named Morpheus, and Morpheus offers him these two pills. One is a, a red pill and one is a blue pill. And if he takes the red pill, he's going to wake up into a new reality. If he takes the blue pill, he just goes back to uh, whatever life he had and believing whatever he wants. Now, of course, uh, Mr. Anderson, uh, he, and he then goes by the name Neo, and this is a... a a movie that hopefully you've seen. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. Uh, there's a lot of spiritual parallels in this movie. Um, so he takes the red pill, 
And what happens is he wakes up in this pod. Now, this whole time, he thinks it's the year 1999 and that he's living this life as a programmer. He's earning money. He's going out to dinner. He's, um, he's just living his life. But he wakes up in a pod and the year is many, many, many years in the future, and the world has been destroyed, and he's being used as a battery, so the energy that his body creates is being siphoned off, and the robots are living off the energy from his body. And he looks out from this pod, and he's got this thing in the back of his head, this wire that comes into the back of his head that is putting um, a digital vision of what, what he thinks he is experiencing. So it's actually a computer program that he's living. Uh, that, that experience that he's having in the year 1999 is all a computer program, and it doesn't actually exist. And he looks out, and he sees billions of other people in pods that all think they're living in the year 1999. Anyway, he gets flushed out, uh, and uh, he starts operating in the real world, which is underground now, and there's no sunlight. And he goes back, and then he can stop bullets because that world isn't real. Now, that's an extreme example, and I'm not telling anyone out there that you are living in the matrix and that you're actually in a pod and everything that you're experiencing is a, is a pure computer program, but we don't know. We can't prove that that's not true. And so all of our certainty is actually based on assumptions. And um, so the question again is, is it wrong to be certain? No, it is certainly not wrong to be certain. I think that certainty is actually quite important in many areas of our life. But I want to read you another quote. This is from Bertrand Russell. This quote says, the demand for certainty is one which is natural to man. So it's natural to us. But nevertheless is an intellectual vice. Now what is a vice? A vice is something that you depend on. Uh, in some cases, a vice may be a chemical addiction. Uh, it may just be... Um, maybe, maybe even something that's healthy, but you totally depend on it. When something is a vice, you start to depend on it in an unhealthy way. It means you can't really exist well without it. And so certainty be can become an intellectual vice. Now, I think that probably um, if, you've, if you've listened to sermons before, you might be thinking this is the part of the sermon where I switch over and I say, there is certainty in Christianity. Well, I, I may be disappointing you, but I think I'm going to say quite the opposite. I want to read a few more quotes um, from other people that are not from the Christian side of things, more secular writers and philosophers. Here's a quote from Mark Twain. Education is the, past, is the path from cocky ignorance to miserable uncertainty. Now, I don't know if I'm miserable, but I will say I've been alive for 43 and a half years, and the older I get and the more that I learn, the more uncertain I am about almost everything that I believe. When I was young, I was certain that I was right. I was certain that I was educated, that I knew what I believed, that I had done the research, that I had found the facts, that I had supported my facts with evidence, and that everything that I believed was true and right. And I think everybody believes everything they believe is true and right, or they wouldn't believe it. Now the problem with that is that we don't agree on things. Here's another quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes. Certitude is not the test of certainty. We have been cocksure of many things that were not so. And I can look back over my life and I can think of a thousand things, probably literally a thousand things that I was certain were true. And then through life experiences, through, in some cases, difficult and painful experiences, I was forced to acknowledge that what I believed was not true, that my certainty was misguided. More quotes. Albertus Camus, we are not certain. We were never certain. If we were, we could reach some conclusions. And we could, at last, make others take us seriously. And this one, this one makes me think of, of 
the political world that we live in. Uh, we're all certain, we are all certain that our party is right. We are all certain that that thing that that party supports is wrong. And if we're all certain, someone has to be wrong. We can't all be right because we don't agree. And finally, one more. Doubt is uncomfortable. Certainty is ridiculous. That's by someone named Voltaire. So cool, they only need one first name. Uh, okay, so I do want to go in the direction of some sort of spiritual certainty and what, what can we be certain of in a spiritual sense. And so I want to talk about this. Um, 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now we see through a glass dimly, but then face to face, um, for now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. So this is kind of a, a difficult verse to kind of dissect and, and figure out and, and, and think through. But basically what it's saying is what we're looking at, what we believe spiritually right now, we're looking through um, a, a, what, what it says is a glass dimly, right? So think of it as like a really dirty window that you're looking through and you're trying to decipher what you see on the other side. In some, in some, interpre- or in some translations it says um, a, a cloudy mirror or a mirror dimly lit and you're looking at something and you're not quite sure what you see. You know something is there and you're not quite certain what it is. This is, this is something coming from Paul, the man who probably had more right to be certain about anything. He had experiences with God. He was actually knocked off his horse by a blinding light. Um, and if anybody had the right to be certain that they knew what God looked like and what God acted like and what God was like, uh, it would be Paul. But Paul is saying, this is what we see. We don't know everything. And he's willing to admit that. And I think that oftentimes in our spiritual and religious endeavors, we're not willing to admit that we don't know everything. We're afraid to say that. Uh, There is another translation of the same verse that I really like. um, And I'm sorry, this is kind of small, so I'm going to have to focus and read it. Uh, In the same way, we can see that the, we can see and understand only a little about God now. If we were peer, as if we were peering at his reflection in a poor mirror. But someday we are going to see him in his completeness, face to face. Now all that I know is hazy and blurred. But then I will be able to see everything clearly, just as clearly as God sees into my heart now. And that, to me, that's, that's kind of a great description of, of what I feel like uh, spiritually. I feel like I don't see everything clearly and I want to know everything clearly, but I, I, I don't know. I really don't have a lot of certainty. And when I was younger, that would have been an incredible sign of weakness. It would have been, to say that, would have been to say, I don't know what I believe. And other people would have looked at me with, um, and, and maybe still, maybe still people look at me with, um, a sense of condescension or, or pity that I don't know what I believe. Um, and it's not necessarily that I don't know that I, what I believe, but it's just there's so much that I don't know how to believe. Here's another verse from Proverbs. Um, in his, uh, it is God's glory to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search them out. And that, that verse, I think, is kind of indicative of, of what I want my relationship with God or my spirituality to be. I want it to be a search. I want to search things out. I remember being young and having people in the church uh, say condescendingly of other people, oh, that person is a seeker. And uh, that, <laughs> what it implied is that that person is, is seeking to find something, right? And, and we are all so certain because we read the Bible and the Bible told us and we know what the Bible says and therefore we are certain and that person over there is a seeker. Um, I used to kind of believe that, uh, that seeking, that being a seeker was, was for people who just didn't get it. There is a book... Um, by Rob Bell, and I'm missing the first page of my quotes. 
Okay, so there is a book by Rob Bell um, called Velvet Elvis. It was one of the earlier books, maybe the first book that he read, wrote, uh, and I read this back in the 90s, and it really changed the way that I thought about Christianity. It was um, very, very good for me uh, to process that, because what it does is it kind of tears down this illusion that your religion or that your spiritual beliefs should be concrete, um, he talks about the, this, this comparison of people who believe religion in the sense of a wall, where every piece of something that they believe, uh, Jesus is the son of God, and that's a brick in the wall. And Jesus died and rose three days later, and that's a brick in the wall. And um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three pieces of God, but they're all one, and that's a brick in the wall. And you say, okay, Moses crossed the Red Sea, and he... He uh, talked to the water and the sea parted, and that's a brick in the wall, and I have to believe that. Um, and God created Adam and Eve, and he did it in exactly six uh, physical 24-hour periods, and that's something that I have to believe. And you have this brick wall that is built on all these things, and you can't negotiate any of them because if you take a brick out of that wall, or if that brick becomes weakened, then the whole wall becomes weakened. And he talks about having a faith that is like a trampoline where it's built on a whole bunch of springs um, that hold up a mat. And you can jump on the mat and the springs can flex. And so uh, do you believe with certainty? No, my springs can flex. Now, I want to talk about some quotes that he, that he put in this book. Um, I, I was listening to it again last week because I, I remembered how much he talked about the... the this illusion of certainty. Here's a quote from him. To truly pursue the living God, we have to see the need for questions. So for those people who are seekers, um, those questions are important. We have to have questions. If we don't have questions, we're assuming that we know everything. And if we know everything, then we are God. Only God can know everything. Here's another one. The moment God is figured out with nice, neat little lines and dimensions, we are no longer dealing with God, but someone we made up. And if we made him up, then we are in control. So if you feel like you're in control of what you believe and you are in control of what will happen in the future based on your spiritual beliefs, then you have made that up. Questions are not scary, What's scary is a faith that doesn't have any room for questions. And a couple more. Being a Christian is more about celebrating mystery than conquering it. And finally, I continue to find the Bible to be the most mysterious book. The more insight I gain, the more I realize that I don't know. And I want to move towards my conclusion here. I once thought that if I didn't know things, I was weak. That other people could take advantage of me or that I would be prone to be deceived or taken advantage of. Or that I was just going to be someone who wasn't perceived as smart. That if you can't figure out what you believe, how smart are you? And now what I think... I understand more than ever is that my spirituality, my belief structure is based almost entirely on mystery. There is only one thing that I feel intensely certain of, and that is that I have a connection with God. Whatever you want to classify that as, I, I have a thought process as Jeff has been talking about the last couple of weeks in his sermons, there's a voice in my head, a conversation going on with God. And I don't always know where it's going to lead. And I do have strong opinions. Uh, those of you who know me know I have strong opinions. But it's not where I want to be. I want to be in a place where I can embrace the mystery. I want to be able to embrace the mystery of God and of spirituality and of knowing that I want to be in a place where when someone presents an argument that is opposed to what I currently believe, 
my first response is not to say, no, that's wrong, because I don't believe it. My first response is to say, I want to think about that. This last little saying here I kind of made up, and I came up with it uh, this week while I was processing this. Wherever you hold on to certainty, you leave no space for God to reveal more of himself. And I've found that to be true. Um, oftentimes when, I, when God has revealed himself to me, it's been through difficult situations uh, or things where I've been embarrassed that I believed something or that I said something or that I treated someone a certain way because of my belief system. And that's not really how I want to learn new things. That's not really how I want to experience growth and understanding. I want to experience growth and understanding by embracing the mystery. I told you that for me, certainty was important, that I want to know things and I want to know what I know. But there's something that I found is more valuable than that, surrender. And surrender is something that has kind of a negative connotation, right? We, we talk about if you surrender, you're raising the white flag, you're giving up, you're weak. But I think that something that comes along with surrender is incredible peace. And if you can look around at your life and your certainty and you can say that my certainty has brought me peace, I want to talk to you because I, I, I don't know that my certainty has ever brought me peace. Because my certainty is built on bricks and all of the bricks are based on assumption. And the more bricks I pile up, the harder that assumption is to withhold. And if that assumption proves to not be true, the harder that wall is going to come down. There are many verses about peace and God bringing peace. And when I was young, my religion, what I believed did not bring me peace. It brought me fear. It brought me anxiety. It brought me a feeling that I needed to convince everyone else to believe exactly what I believed or I wasn't doing my job. When you embrace the mystery and when you are willing to say, I don't know everything, that's when God can begin to reveal things to you that never made sense and he can start to bring you along on a journey that takes your whole life. And by the end of your life, by the end of my life, I hope to be able to say, there's so much more that I don't know. I want to embrace the mystery and I want to embrace this journey. And I hope that you'll join, me with, join with me on that. I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we'll wrap up with a song. Father, we thank you for everything that is in our lives. We thank you for the grace. We thank you for the joy, the sunshine, the good moments. We thank you for the challenges that force us to rethink all of the things that we are so certain of. And we thank you for your patience. Thank you for your willingness to be patient through our arrogant certainty and to pull us along on this journey when we're ready. I love you, Father, and I thank you for this day. I thank you for everyone who is able to join us for this. Um, thank you for health. Thank you for every breath that we get to take. I love you, Father. Amen.
just wanna sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never wanna leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do. I just want you. perfect song to close our time together and what a perfect message for the hour in which we're living amen uh, tremendous job Matt um, I'm jealous officially uh, and uh, I have something to shoot for next week we do invite you to come back next week uh, don't miss e every week we're just growing we're getting our arms around the the media sorry for the snafu this morning for those of you that have been watching the entire time we're we're working we're back in the sanctuary we've introduced a lot of new elements to it to just improve the quality of it and uh, we hope you're enjoying it I, I want Nina to take the mic here and just uh, remind you of our, our study coming up we're going to have a great time on Thursday night. Love wins. Uh, definitely one of the things that, uh, well, you might say, well, that's not news. But when you read this book, there's news. There's things that um, cause us, as Matt has said, to think and to search and to seek and to say what God is, find out what God is saying. And I believe especially in this hour. So if you want to join us, you can call me at 720-878-3323. We'll make sure you get that Zoom link so that you can join us this Thursday night at 7 o'clock. If you don't have the book yet, that's perfectly all right. Join on in and uh, we'll go from there. And you can join at any time. They don't, they don't have to be there each week. Or did you already say that? I didn't say that, but it'd be great if they were there each time. <laughs> and that's every other week, actually. <laughs> but, but, right, and so we know you'll miss, you know, uh, it's hard to, you know, be there every time. Don't not be there because you miss a week or two, okay? It's not that kind of study, all right? So we'll see you next week. God bless you. We'll be here at 1030 once again. Uh, share the links with your friends, uh, both the website and Facebook. They're available. And then after the fact, you can also, of course, share that th this video will be uh, up on Facebook uh, for the weeks to come. It'll also be on the website, and uh, you can go back and watch it that way. We love you. Thank you for your giving, your continued giving, and um, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>